0: Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C L A U D E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic.
1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey,
0: what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Waveform Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Marquez. And I'm Andrew. And today we've got... A couple pretty new pieces of tech to talk about, but we're gonna start off with some uh, random Tesla Autopilot subscription chat because we wanted to go over like the, the logistics of it, and what we think of it. But also, yeah. we got some new Pixel 6 info, mm-hmm. as much info as we could possibly get about a phone that's technically not been announced yet. It's kind of a weird announcement. Yeah, they did a strategy. Kind of strange. Very strange. But we got Tensor, and we're gonna talk with David about that new silicon strategy from Google. But first, Andrew. Break down this Tesla
2: Autopilot subscription price thing. Okay, we we wanted to talk about this last week, but I forgot to put it at the doc, so we'll talk about it this week. We're about a week late on this, but um, I'm gonna break it down, and you're gonna since you're the Tesla owner, if I'm kind of miss saying anything, just sure. just correct me when it's okay. possible. But um, I think it's safe to say that for a very long time, people have been uh, asking for subscription service for full self driving. Mm-hmm. Um, also. Before we get into this, I know there's a lot of debate about what full self-driving is, if it's worth the money, oh, blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah. We're not doing that at all today. We're just talking about how it's a subscription base. They finally added it. Um, just
0: as the feature currently exists, people wanted the ability to subscribe to it for some time and then unsubscribe from it when they don't need it for a while. Or, and then add it back later with no
2: penalty. And also not paying ten thousand dollars up front like right. that's a lot of money um yep. up front so monthly i mean we see this happening with everything financing it's just always been a thing in our uh, our economy where you try and pay per month rather than upfront. so mm-hmm. people have been asking for it for a really long time it finally came out and it is currently going for 199 a month or 99 a month if you already paid for enhanced autopilot so i guess that's my first question really quick is Okay. You can have a basic base model with nothing. Uh-huh. You can have enhanced autopilot and then there's full self driving. Yeah. Correct. What is the price on uh, enhanced autopilot? That's a good five. question. I'm going to guess five. I'm going to go to Tesla's website and check. I uh, think I have a, oh, that's just the link. I'll for, spec a model three. That's probably what I did most people are I expect in. a base one. Yeah. So this is perfect. If you compare it like that, I can compare it to what I have already.
0: So I don't think it lets you buy enhanced autopilot by itself now. It's either nothing. Or full self full driving self. for ten thousand.
2: Okay. And that's it. All right. So still a little confused on that. Apparently if you have advanced enhanced autopilot already, it's only ninety nine a month. Right. But it's- we're gonna mostly focus here on just the two hundred dollars a month because mm-hmm. I think that's what most people will be in the scenario of. Okay. Um, like you said, it's cancelable anytime. Um they don't prorate it per month, but if you cancel it, you just at the end of the month it goes away and then you stop paying for it and you mm-hmm. can do it up again whenever you'd like. So at $200 a month, that comes out to about $2,400 a year. So the first thing I think you kind of do the math on is, at what point does this equal $10,000? Because yeah. that's what you're essentially trying, that's what you're avoiding, is paying the upfront dollars Yeah,
0: everybody's 000. doing the math about, okay, if I spend $10,000 upfront, will I eventually use Autopilot for enough months that it will be worth it, where if I had paid a subscription, it would have been more than $10,000. And I guess the question that really affects all everybody's math is how much do you really use autopilot? Yeah. A lot of people think I use autopilot all the time. I don't actually use it that much, but I do use it in specific situations that are sort of random throughout the year, meaning when there's traffic. Okay. So a lot of people, like, there's a full self-driving beta that's out now that's really, really impressive, and a lot of people are getting this slow rollout where it'll take you from point A to point B, stop at stop signs, navigate through city streets, take turns, exit highways, all of these intersections and everything, and it's super cool, and I'll try it for the beta but I generally actually enjoy driving. Yeah. I don't know, I'm some weird sicko that actually likes holding the steering How wheel. How dare <laughs> you? <So> I, <laughs> I, I <actually laughs> the steering like what? The steering yoke, the okay, steering wheel, okay, whatever. Just checking, just... But I actually enjoy driving. So I don't, for the most part, use autopilot, but the one part of driving that is annoying, no matter what kind of car you're in, mm-hmm. is like stop and go traffic yeah. or like slowly rolling through the Lincoln Tunnel at eight miles an hour, where it's like not really driving anymore. You're just kind of sitting and waiting to get through it. At that point, I'll turn on autopilot, which really isn't all that different from any other car's cruise control, just holding you in the lane, moving you forward when traffic moves. Fine. Is that, to me, worth $200 a month or 10 grand up front? Uh, To me, part of the the Tesla experience is having the tech to be able to do that. So I'm going to say yes for me, because there is enough traffic around this part of the country Uh that it happens all the time. But I'm not somebody who's like literally always using autopilot all the time with tons of miles. So
2: here's the thing though. uh, You say you're not using it all the time, but it's easy to say you use it once a month, right? Yes. So like in terms of being like canceling it when you don't really need it and grabbing it again when you do need it, that's not like really an option. You're probably, I would say for this, you're either doing it all the time or maybe you're doing like a trial run of it for a month or two. Yeah. Um, so I feel that's that's it's cool that you can cancel it whenever. I don't see a lot of people canceling it, bringing it back, canceling it, bringing it back. Um yeah. there might be some super niche opportunities there when that happens, but
0: I think it's smart for Tesla because there's going to be a lot of people who don't pay the 10,000 up front thinking they won't use it that much and then one day they'll try it. Mm-hmm. And a certain percent of those people will like it so much that they convert into paying every month for it and so that'll, it'll end up making Tesla money from people who weren't going to try Autopilot at all ever, which yeah. is pretty good for them. But there's also a group of people who were going to pay for Autopilot but have done the math on how many months they think they're going to need it and use it and they're going to give Tesla less money. I'm sure Tesla's done the math and landed on this price and figured this is good, but yeah, I think the the overall like mission of getting more people used to Autopilot, in air quotes, I'm doing yeah. air quotes mm-hmm. for audio listeners, uh, I think that sort of helps it
2: i think um the biggest issue i see with it is and i know tesla has to think this as well but it it, over four years you are now paying that's when you equal about ten thousand dollars four years okay four years i would argue most people keep their cars for longer than four years especially Mm -hmm. if we go into like i financed a model three here just to take a get a guess of it so i did five thousand down for 60 months i think that's that's what i did for my last car i think that's pretty 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 typical if you're financing a car um so at the model three starts at forty K and you put five K down for sixty months, you're paying six forty two a month. So the two hundred dollars is like a twenty percent increase on that. Yeah. Um, you gotta really want autopilot. Yeah, you gotta really want <laughs> it and you're also doing it for sixty months. So if that's twelve thousand dollars if you do full self driving the entire time. Mm-hmm. So you're now paying two grand more than just paying for ten up front.
0: Yeah, I'm just trying to think maybe there's some customers that are like, I'm gonna do a road trip in June of this one year. I don't really use Autopilot that much, but you know what? For my cross-country road trip in my car, I'm going to buy Autopilot for that month. And yeah. so they'll just pay the 200 bucks to have it for that month and then Cancel stop and, and then, then it'll go away and they don't use it that much. And maybe they love it so much that they'll keep paying for it after that trial, but that's a that's a possible use yeah, case I yeah, can see.
2: So what I've been... My my initial thoughts on it were I love that they did full self drive or the subscription model. I think a lot of people asked for it and they wanted it. Mm. Did they price this too high to where they're essentially almost they're they're making you want to do the $10,000 because it is generally the better deal assuming you have your car for more than 4 years, which we can agree is the majority of people.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. also an interesting point uh, full self-driving doesn't transfer with you if you move yes. to a new car. I had
2: that question. Which... So
0: if you buy a Tesla let's or, or lease or whatever finance, you get a car, you pay the $10,000, and then you sell that car, you have to pay the $10,000 again on your next car to get full self-driving with it. So it's like a feature of that single device. It's funny because most subscription services aren't local to a single device. They'll apply across everything. If I pay for Spotify, I didn't just pay for Spotify on my one laptop. I pay for it to access anywhere. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of funny that this one subscription service does not transfer. Um, But yeah, if you do pay for the subscription on one car and you want it on your next car, you unsubscribe on one car and then resubscribe on the next car. And so when you sell it, you're selling a car that does not have autopilot, yeah. which is bringing the value down. But and that's I, something to, to notice.
2: Do the majority of these cars have the hardware already built in? Like you don't get the extra hardware when you pay the 10000 They all have you? the hardware. Okay, yeah. so like that to me feels kind of strange, paying the $10,000 and then having to pay it again, where I guess that's where this could come in a little better. Um, let's say you are somebody who might only have the car for three years. Then it definitely makes sense to just do the two hundred dollars. My other question would be, can you pay the two hundred bucks to try it for a month and then pay the ten thousand dollars because you loved it so much and you know you're gonna have the car for more than four years and you want to have the better deal? It's a good question. I would guess that because Tesla should take your money, but actually, don't know. I don't know. You could in the past, if you before the subscription started, you could add it later, right? Um, But weren't they charging? It would cost more. Yeah, it okay. would cost
0: more. So if you did it up front from the factory, it would be, for example, eight K. If you didn't, it would be ten K after the fact. But the hardware was always there. It was always like, okay, now we have to go through and enable the software and uh-huh. you get this new feature.
2: I think my final my final thought on this is I think it should be a hundred dollars a month. And I think that averages out to the typical lifetime of a car better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then while still has the potential of making more money than the 10,000 front, because there are people who keep their cars for 10 or 12 years. And, and we're in this, uh, age where we are assuming electrics are going to last longer than gas cars in a lifespan because they don't have all the wear and tear on a regular transmission and engine. Mm-hmm. I think a hundred dollars is great. I kind of think the $200 is like They didn't really want to go full-blown into the subscription model, but so many people were asking it. So this to them is like a, well, if anyone wants it that bad, we're going to make quite a bit of money off of it. Yeah.
0: It's one of the cases where there is no competition. Like there is no alternate version of this, a subscription service to a adaptive cruise control version where you can go, oh, well, this one's only $80 a month. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to get this one instead. Also, if you own a Tesla, there aren't even if you had other versions on other cars, it's not like you could buy Mercedes's cruise control. <laughs> Jesus, so imagine? there's definitely no, no, there's no competition internally yeah. to sort of push that price one way or the other, which is interesting. But yeah, I'm trying to think of if there's some other uh, feature in in the tech world where you already have the hardware capable and you're just paying to unlock some software to take advantage of that hardware. Like, all the Tesla cars have the cameras and the the yoke and yeah. all the sensors around the car, but only some of them
2: actually use all of that for this certain self-driving feature. I mean, you could think of, like, Peloton or something like that, where you have this bike that has a multitude of options of how you use it, and the best way to do it is by buying the subscription to the application and getting the classes and getting the leaderboards and stuff like that. I mean, it doesn't yeah. necessarily make the bike work any different, but it's... It's the only way to use the Peloton. You can't even just like free ride without a I subscription. Think all you can do is free ride. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, you still can use it to the exact same potential, sort of in like in terms of the exercising goal of it. But you lose the classes and the leaderboards and yeah. and the thing that kind of motivates you yeah. to want to do it. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I feel like my final thought on this would be: if you're purchasing a Tesla, and you really really want full self driving. If you can't afford to pay the $10,000 right up front, I would probably not go for the subscription model because I'm guessing you're going to keep it for long enough to where you're going to be paying more eventually. Uh, and I would try as hard as you can to pay it up front, even though clearly $10,000 is a lot of money up front. Yeah. I, I feel like this subscription model isn't quite there for the the majority of the people who can't afford to pay $10,000 up front. It's not benefiting them. Yeah, we as
0: far as we know, because we don't know how many how many people are gonna love autopilot versus are gonna pay it and then regret paying it. Who knows? Watch as many YouTube videos as you can of yeah. autopilot in action. That's the best way to know. Because like, unless you can borrow somebody's car and use autopilot with, you know, a couple of trips and figure it out if you want to pay for it or not. But watch a lot of videos. That's Why the best doesn't way. Tesla
2: do a like a thirty day free? Tri- when you buy your car, you get a month of full self driving for free, and That'd then at cool. the end of the month, you can purchase it up front yeah or the car arrives the subscription. that
0: would make people so mad but if the car arrives with all the full self-driving features you get really used to them and then a month later all of them go away
2: i mean i'm sure people would get annoyed at that at first just because it's the option just like how people were annoyed when like remember in florida there was that hurricane and they unlocked like a little more of the battery or whatever and you could drive faster but ultimately that's not really that big of a difference those specs were what you paid for already um but getting a free trial of it might make people wonder if they, and and it'll it'll stop a lot more regret of paying 10 grand and then realizing Mm -hmm. they don't like it or don't think it was worth it. Yeah.
0: Give them, give them a free trial that they can activate at any time.
2: Oh, you're being way more lenient than I They don't start with it,
0: but at a certain point you'll go, you know what? I want to try it. Then as soon as you try it, that's your free month. And then after that, you will have to pay. That's how I would structure it if i was running the program
2: that's the that's a nice way of doing it yeah
0: all All right. right well let's take a quick break we're gonna come back we're gonna have david on and we're gonna talk all about the new pixel 6 what we know and what we think we know and all about tensor be right back
1: vacations can be tricky
0: So it can be tough to stay organized when your team is spread across time zones. With Coda, you can help keep your whole team on the same page with an all-in-one collaborative workspace that brings together the best of documents, spreadsheets, and apps into one platform. That means less time ping-ponging between different tabs and tools and more time on your projects. So with Coda's extensive planning capabilities, you can stay aligned when managing planning cycles and while measuring objectives and key results. Plus you can access hundreds of templates and get inspired by others in Coda's gallery. So over 50,000 teams across the world collaborate with Coda from the New York Times to Square, uh, from Toast to Ted and Uber. So if you want a platform that enables and empowers your team to collaborate effectively and focus on shared goals, you can get started with Coda today for free you can head over to Coda.io slash wave. So that's Coda, C-O-D-A dot I-O slash wave to get started for free. Coda.io forward slash wave. Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI power gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life, depending on your power source and usage. You also get access to AI Boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup. And all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is gonna change a lot in the
2: gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution like you are, you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot.
0: Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte. AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte. Team up. Fight on. All right, we're back. Let's talk Pixel 6.
2: Yeah. There's a lot. We... Aren't going to do it, but you are going to talk about Pixel Six. I, I mean, I'm excited for it, but I've said kind of what I wanted to. I know David's very excited to talk about not just Pixel Six, but Tensor and a whole lot of other stuff. So I'm going to actually relinquish my seat okay. for the rest of the episode. Um, David will be your host for the rest of this, and I think he's very, very excited. So
0: before you leave, though, sure. Since you're a current Pixel user, mm-hmm. what are your like reactions to seeing Pixel Pixel Six?
2: Uh, uh, I want the smaller one. Okay, I think there if, it is. If I get it, if if, if, if.
0: Interesting. We don't know a lot yet. We don't like know like price. A lot. Okay, let's bring in David. The details. Whoa! Oh hey, I, welcome. This keeps happening. I, David. I. <laughs> I don't David, know how you this... keep you keep taking over the podcast, man. Welcome back. Thank you. Um. Happy okay. We've got a bunch. This is maybe the strangest smartphone pre-announcement yep. I've seen in a while. So, so yep. what Google did was they they hopped on. Well, first of all, they emailed a bunch of people behind the scenes, including mm-hmm. me, and they were like, hey, you want to come to New York City and just like check out the Pixel? But also, we're not announcing it yet, but yep. you want to check it out, and yep. then you can talk about it. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll take a look. And then, yeah, we went out. I saw the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro, got lots of hands-on. Finally but, a Pro, not Ultra, but exactly, a Pro. Exactly, <laughs> not an Ultra. I didn't get to shoot any video or photos of it, Um, but I got my demos and then came back here and then made a video talking about it. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Google spills all these details, but not... A whole bunch of like official specs, just a mm-hmm. bunch of details about Pixel Six, but it's not the announcement yet. Mm-hmm. It's there's no price. You can't order it. They're gonna announce it later. Yep. Even though they just revealed it this fall, it's weird. Yep. Um, so here's what they revealed. So we've got the two designs. You've probably, if you haven't seen the leaks by now, they look pretty accurate. It's got the camera bar across the back instead of the camera circle. Uh, there's a six and a six Pro that are similar in a lot of ways, but there's a few differences. The six has a 90-hertz display instead of the 6 Pro, which has 120-hertz display. The 6 has a flat display with slightly bigger bezels, and the 6 Pro has a little bit of the, the waterfall display going on over the edges and will give you a slightly bigger 6.7 inches instead of 6.4. Um, slightly bigger battery, of course, in the Pro as well, but I don't have the sizes in front of me here. And then you will get a 4X telephoto camera in the Pro in addition to the cameras they share, which is the primary and the ultra-wide. And the colors are all like pretty pastelly. There's yeah. a there's a gray one. There's an orange peachish looking one. There's a blue green. Um, but that's basically it. We've got the the camera bar is sort of the most obvious new thing. But the one thing that I wanted to focus on that I talked about in our in my video about it uh, was the new chip inside inside of both, which is called Google Tensor. So yeah uh, we have a lot of thoughts on tensor and maybe thoughts. its implications and I made the video of course you can check that out already um, but how would you how would you describe what tensor is because it was rumored for a while Yeah okay
3: um, I I'm, I'm a little mixed on the naming. I don't think the naming is going to matter that much for a lot of people like I don't think regular people are like oh Apple A14 I want to yeah, buy no it because of the a14. yeah I, I do actually think the name is is probably good. Um, for people that don't know, Google also makes a machine learning or deep learning library mm-hmm. called TensorFlow. Yep, right? And a tensor is basically it's basically just like a higher order vector. So you've got scalars as a point, a vector is like a to a like one-dimensional point with direction, mm-hmm. and then you've got a matrix and then you've got a tensor. Yeah. So a tensor is basically just like we can, in N directions, flow this information with an input and come out with an output. It's basically deep learning. So that's how they named it. Yes, that's why they named it Tensor.
0: So it is, we were hearing about the Whitechapel project before, and obviously there are other smartphone manufacturers that design their own silicon in Mm -hmm. their smartphones. Mm -hmm. I mentioned the Exynos chip that's designed by Samsung. uh, Kieran or Kyron? Kieran Okay, Kieran chips yeah. from Huawei. People always correct <laughs> me when I say it wrong. Yeah. Uh, and obviously Apple with their A14. Yeah. So yeah, the Tensor chip will now be in pixels. Yeah. It makes it competitive in its own unique way, but also allows them to focus on dedicating certain parts of the chip to certain things. Yep. And this is a lot of what they were telling me. They, they gave me some demos on photography. Computational photography is a big deal. Mm-hmm. They're doing something new now where if they take a photo of a human and the face is blurry... They're also now taking some really, really fast shutter speed shots on the ultra wide that mm-hmm. they can merge in to get a clear face on an otherwise blurry yeah. subject. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. Um, also, computational photography inside video yeah. is something they showed me, and they gave me a quick demo of basically like an HDR shot right into the sun yeah. against Pixel 5 and iPhone 12, and, of course, it's doing all its pixel magic. So, I'm, yeah. um, you know, that was tailored by them, and, of course, we'll have to test that for ourselves, but that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then on-device speech-to-text recognition, which covers a lot oh, yeah. of things. It covers, like, obviously just texting somebody with your voice, but mm-hmm. it also covers Google Assistant, mm-hmm. and it also covers, uh, like, translate. turning on transcriptions yeah. or Translate, and mm-hmm. also live transcriptions that are also live translated into a different language all yeah. happening on device. Yeah. A lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, um, We don't know... The rest of the details of, like, how it'll benchmark and if it's equivalent to a Snapdragon 888 yeah. or a, an 8-765, we don't really know. Yeah. But we got all these details now, and we've got thoughts on them. But yeah. I'm curious, how do you feel I about I have so many thoughts, man. I, okay, I, hit me. Okay. So, okay, here's the thing.
3: Uh Big reason why Apple is transitioning from Intel to ARM, for example. On the Macs. On the Macs is because they're realizing that ARM was originally developed for like smartphones, right? It's reduced. It's like a reduced architecture that was originally like, let's save as much power as we can. And then over the years, because smartphones are like one of the most replaced products of all time, they were able to iterate it on it more mm-hmm. than like any other thing, right? So ARM just became better and better and better. Apple realized like, oh, these are now basically faster than the traditional processors. Yeah, This is a similar transition. It's also ARM, of mm-hmm. course, you know, because Qualcomm uses ARM architectures right. and then it basically like tweaks it to its own specifications. Mm-hmm. But Google here is effectively realizing that machine learning is becoming more and more and more important in our phones, right? That's the reason that Apple created the A14 Bionic, the whole, like, Bionic thing. Right,
0: because there's certain parts of that chip that are dedicated. There's, like, a neural core, Mm -hmm. and there's the part that's specifically for face ID and all these different biometrics, and and often, yeah, ML gets looped into that. Right,
3: so the neural processing unit. So if we pull this back Mm -hmm. to the original Google Pixel, Right? Okay.
0: Pixel 1, that was a classic.
3: Pixel 1, a classic phone. Yeah. It was the first made-by-Google phone. That's right. the, that's when they announced the made-by-Google brand. They released the Pixel 1. They released the Google Home. And then they also released, I think, Google Wi-Fi at that time. Um, yeah. Google Wi-Fi at that time didn't have Google Assistant. But more important than the hardware that they released, than Google-made phones, was the Google Assistant. Yeah. Google Assistant was their first step in doing basically like deep learning stuff on your device, and more importantly, ambient computing. Mm -hmm. Google's future is ambient computing, which is to say you don't have to interact with your device that much, right? Everything that you should be doing should be able to be done just with your voice, or it should predict things for you. It's kind of like that Elon Musk, like any input is Is failure of the system. (laughs) Basically, Google wants the Google assistant to be all around you at all times and that's why now if you go in the Google store they offer so many products that are all made to be all around you all the
0: time. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a bunch of parts of this that I'm curious about. Obviously we have other assistants that work in their own ways. Siri and and Alexa and what's the one that's um, Cortana is mm-hmm. another one, but Google <laughs> Assistant,
2: yeah, Google <laughs> Assistant to
0: me tends to be the most consistent and the most helpful because it knows the most about me. But also, it's the most proactive. A yeah. lot of times, it's it's already about to tell me what the traffic is to work before I even leave. Right. Stuff like that is really cool. Um, so I, I, I imagine Tensor, you know, putting your own design silicon in the phone you make mm-hmm. is a step to sort of centralize and maximize this advantage that they have. Right, like Siri on the iPhone, while it's decent. As currently constructed, I feel like it can never match what Google Assistant does because Apple's so focused on privacy Mm -hmm. that there's so much that they don't know about you. And they try to map it out and and do a good job about that. But Google sort of shamelessly knows a lot about you and is constantly ambiently computing with that information. So Tensor is just another way of optimizing and speeding up and and centralizing that on the Pixel and making it... Does it make it a buying point for the Pixel? Is that so, a reason people will buy Pixel okay, 6?
3: Here here I think is Google's core problem. Okay. Uh is it will make the experience way better. Because yeah. all of all of the reasons to buy Pixel are all of the things that Google Assistant does and the ways that Pixel are smart, right? Like, or not even just Google Assistant, but the machine learning chops that Google That's what has. I, yeah. So
0: I was just gonna say that. Not to interrupt, the, yep. the camera on the pixel mm-hmm. is a, a feature that people care about yes. a lot. Yes. The reason the camera is good is because of Google's software prowess yeah. with machine learning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because like computational photography,
3: everything is kind of using machine learning, right? Mm-hmm. Like it is it is using machine learning to know if that face is blurry, it'll always take another photo with the wide camera, and then it uses machine learning to clear up, you know, it'll crop in with the wide camera clear up that area with machine learning and then make the face not blurry it's crazy um but they have this like whole ambient computing push where they don't want you to have to interact with your devices that often and when i reviewed the like pixel 4a and the pixel 5 i basically was like well it's okay that these phones are like not pro phones in a way because they make you not need to touch them as often you've got things like now playing on your phone so you glance at your phone when you're in a coffee shop and you already know the song that's playing it's one of my
0: favorite features you've yeah.
3: yeah you've got um hold for me so if you're making a call it can like hold for you you you've got call screening so you don't have to really touch your phone that much like mm. google's whole thing and if you go on their website right now they have so many products that you can buy that all have Google Assistant built in. Now the Nest Wi-Fi, which yep. used to be Google Wi-Fi, has Google Assistant built in. You've got the Nest Cams. There's just like all of these products with Google Assistant. So I think their end goal is Google Assistant should be able to sort of do everything for you. And Google's just been so good at deep learning mm-hmm. compared to every other company ever because they have the most data. Because mm-hmm. they're Google. They have everything. They have the Internet's. They have the Internet.
0: Google knows a lot about me, like a lot. Not even just about you, but just about, like, trends and everything and, like. About what I'm likely to do and likely to become. It's (laughs) kind of It's, like, funny. We were checking the other day about, like, oh, how many cities have we been to? How many states have we been to? And Uh we're, like, how do I even figure out for myself how many places I've been to? I could just sort of count back in my memory. Or you could open the Google Maps, like, timeline, and it'll give you a bunch of points on a map (laughs) where you've ever been. Yeah. Because you have your phone on you at all times. It's, like, they know so much about you. Yeah. Um, okay. So do we just to so to go back to Tensor, tensor and the tensor, Pixel? Yeah. Um, pixel six and Pixel six Pro. I'm gonna guess what I think the prices will be. Okay. I just the way they were talking about them and the way I saw them built and after holding them, mm. I feel like we can say, or at least I'll say, I think Pixel six Pro is gonna be right around thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and I think Pixel six is gonna be right around that 750 mark where we saw like. Uh, you know, OnePlus 8 and Galaxy S20 FE and a lot of those phones, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's it's expensive, but it's competitive-ish in that way. Yeah. Uh, do you think this brings Pixel to, like, the finally competitive flagship landscape that we've been hoping for, or is it going to take more than just <sighs> Tensor and so, a nice screen? Yeah, this
3: is the problem. Is like Google is so focused on making the experience for you amazing, but um, and seamless. Their whole thing is ambient computing, which means that you shouldn't have to worry about things. Things should just happen for you. And the experience that they offer on Pixel with things like their deep learning algorithms is so amazing. Unfortunately, from a marketing perspective, it's really hard to market that. Like you can say like Pixel is delightful. A lot of people will call pixels delightful, helpful. but unless helpful. Like Google uses that term all the time. Yeah. But unless you have like a headline feature, like the camera, right? Everybody mm. uses the camera. Everyone knows pixel cameras are great. So I really hope that they're really pushing how much better these cameras are now, especially since they're finally putting new, um, they're putting
0: new, uh, oh, new hardware, hardware in it. Oh yeah. Thank goodness. I'm because, excited for that. By uh, the way. Very. Yeah. 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 They, that's a good point. Like if they have like a, a really catchy, maybe not just slogan, but like an entire campaign, because yeah. they've, they've flirted with this. They've talked about like how, I don't know if exactly the way they phrase it, but how like Google works for you, yeah, or like let Google let Google do it do it for That's you, a yeah, whole something like that. yeah, let Google and it's do like it. it makes sense to me because I know what they mean, but I just I just don't see it. Clicking yeah, with a lot of people, you know what's funny though is they
3: they actually they had their earnings call recently and they told the investors by the way. We're going to be spending a lot more money than usual near the second half of the year for the holiday season, which means they're going to market the crap out of Pixel Six and Pixel Six Pro. I'm
0: very interested.
3: I think they really, really want to get past that like single-digit like penetration number in the U.S. market share. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when I say that's a similar tr- that Tensor is a similar transition as from like X eighty-six to ARM, it's because like companies like Qualcomm have upped the amount of machine learning cores that they're dedicating in their chips. Like Qualcomm is doing a good job of like scaling that up more and more. But I think Google is realizing sort of like single core CPU performance and multi-core CPU performance are fine. But we've kind of gotten to this point where the chips are fast enough that you don't really notice slowdowns. So let's go over here and just like, Put a ton of resources into the thing that isn't quite there yet for everybody. Yeah. Right. Like just allowing your phone to seamlessly do all the deep learning stuff as seamless as possible.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And then Tensor is like like you said in your video, Tensor is so important because you can scale it up to bigger hardware. You can scale it down for things like watches. And then Google also cuts out the middleman. They can make it cheaper. And so I'm when you say the when you did the pricing guess. I'm a little mixed. I'm like, they they've gone through this, right? They've done the premium pixel mm-hmm. where they charge a thousand bucks. They've done the cheap pixel where they charged uh, seven hundred three
0: forty nine for the A
3: series. I mean, for the A series, so that's yeah. the baseline for the A series. Okay, but then if we're talking about like Pixel Five, yeah. that was what seven ninety nine at launch. Six ninety
0: nine or seven ninety nine? I think it launched at seven seven ninety nine, and then obviously dropped.
3: I have a feeling they're going to try to make it. for the pro. Mm, Okay. And $6.99 for the non pro. Because I think a $250 Delta is kind of a lot for people, especially since the only thing you're losing, you're only losing a couple things on the smaller one.
0: Yeah, that is true. Like when you think about putting those phones next to each other in the store, one of them is going to be slightly smaller. One of them is going to have an extra camera that a lot of people don't really know what to make of. Like, you know, know, the the iPhone Pro has an extra camera, but as far as I can tell, people aren't buying it for that. Yeah. Um, It'll have a little bit of a bigger screen. And that's kind of it. Same yeah. exact chip, same exact software, mm-hmm. and a lot of people haven't noticed the difference between ninety and one hundred twenty hertz. So yeah. that's not a differentiator either. Yeah. For the pro name, you know, I feel like
2: anytime you writing see that, yeah, anytime you see pro <laughs> in
0: a name, you immediately go, oh, okay, it's this better. better cost more. Yeah, it's yeah. the better one, obviously. But like, what are the real features? But mm-hmm. yeah, this this phone isn't going to really have that many different features right. versus the regular Pixel 6. So you're right. It probably can't be that different in price yeah, from each other. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I, I I really like the comparison with uh, the Mac transition, but not just because it's going from x86 to to ARM, mm-hmm. but I think because they're going from not having control over what new the chip designs will look like with Intel versus having exact control over everything they want to prioritize yeah. and design for in every new generation of the chip. Yeah. And that's what I see when Google's going to Qualcomm and like crossing their fingers for a chip that has more ML core and more stuff that focuses on the stuff they f- they care about, yeah. but they don't have that level of control. So yeah. they can take all the control into their hands. And I think I saw some people sort of speculating, this will probably be in line with like a Snapdragon 765G. Like nobody really is going to notice the day-to-day difference in performance right. versus that and a 888 or yeah. whatever the next one is, 895 yeah. or whatever. And at first I was like kind of bummed by that. I was like, wow, oh, I was really hoping this would be a flagship. But the fact that we probably won't notice a performance difference and it will do better at those ML things yeah, probably makes up for that for me. I so slightly
3: I... disagree. Okay. Because I, for the regular CPU and GPU cores, mm-hmm. there's no way that they're not just using the off-the-shelf ARM parts. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling that they're going to use probably the best of what ARM offers right now, which is basically what... Qualcomm does but just tweaks it Mm -hmm. but I think they're not going to be like optimizing CPU and GPU like Qualcomm will do I think that's a that's a big reason why they didn't
0: talk about speed yeah they were never (laughs) gonna tell tell me yeah yeah never yeah Uh, yeah it's, it's curious I don't know enough about chip architecture to like really flesh out this theory about like Okay, if you use more space on the die for ML, does that leave less space for normal computing tasks? But also you're trying not to use those cores as much. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. That's just the way my brain looks at mm-hmm. tensor and like the things they can they can focus on. But yeah. Honestly, I'm excited for it. I yeah, think I'm when we get the stoked. Pixel in hand and use it, it's yeah. going to be like the telling moment.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to be one of those different experiences, kind of like we had with the M1 Max. Again, it's like they're not switching from Intel to ARM, yeah. but they're switching what they prioritize. It's it's similar to the transition between sing, like single threaded workloads were like all the rage for a really long time, and then only a couple years ago AMD came in and they were just like, "Hey, Everything's fast enough, like single-threaded work. Everything can ha- be handled by these single-core speeds at 4.4 4 gigahertz fine. Mm-hmm. What if we just throw more cores at it? Multi-thread out all the things. And Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And suddenly that started taking off. So then Intel had competition. Intel had to start making multi-threaded stuff. And so now there's that battle going on there. But I think that's a similar example for Google. It's like, yeah... The eight eighty eight has a twenty five percent faster CPU, twenty five percent faster GPU. That's not making a difference in your life from an eight sixty five to an eight eighty eight. Yeah. What's going to make a real difference in your life is how like seamlessly it can do all these ML tasks that you don't actually notice. And that's like the frustrating thing for I, that I feel frustrated for Google is that a good experience is when you don't
0: notice the good things happening. That's so true. That is so true. Yeah. The the best tech. Fades into the background and doesn't impress you as yeah. much as the flashiest tech. Yeah, um, that's sad truth. Yeah, here's yeah. another. Here's a question: uh, Should Qualcomm be worried? And I ask this because I, you know, the obvious logic is okay. That's one more customer gone from buying Qualcomm chips, and if they set a good example for themselves, maybe there will be future that also drop. Mm-hmm. But also, when you look at like the like the Snapdragon versus the Exynos Samsung phones mm-hmm. the Exynos version is often worse yeah quite, which a, is, quite often which threw a wrench in my whole like optimization mindset <laughs> because I'm like Samsung you make you design the chip and it's worse than the off the shelf one how is it so yeah. uh, what do you think about this Qualcomm well, situation well Qualcomm has a bazillion
3: patents and they like pride themselves on making a ton of patents if you go to their offices like they have walls and walls and walls of patents you know what patents okay. do they don't allow other people to use the technology that they've kind of figured out, right? right. So they're kind of building this wall around themselves. Hmm. I think they should be worried, but not necessarily because of Google, but because of the sheer number of companies that are starting to go full stack architecture. Oppo is rumored to be making its own chips oh, for really? Oppo and Vivo phones. Okay. Huawei is already doing it. Mm-hmm. Samsung is like potentially going to be moving completely to Exynos at some point. Now Google is, it's like this race, like welcome to the future where every single company is Apple.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I get confused about, you know, why the Exynos version is worse and like you bring up the patents. It's like, there's a lot of things they can't do that Qualcomm has a lock on. Mm -hmm. But does that also mean that Tensor will be worse because there are things that they can't do and will it end up being the Exynos of the pixel world? Like I don't, I, I hope not, but I figure if, we're as optimistic with this as we are about like how good Apple is with their architecture and their yeah. chips, it should be better. How, how is Exynos not better at this point? Yeah, I think that, sorry, go ahead. And like, how do they, how are they going to go full Exynos when the Snapdragon version is still better? Right, you know? right. I think Exynos' main problem has
3: always been battery life. Mm-hmm. And that's been the main constraint, like on a CPU speed level it's generally been similar. Okay. And I think the most the thing that most people complain about with the Exynos versions of the Snapdragon chips, well of <laughs> of the ARM chips, yeah. is the battery life. Yep. Uh and so you know, I don't know what Google's going to do in terms of battery life, like it, they could optimize it because it's a full stack thing, but like you said like the Exynos version of these Galaxy S phones, Galaxy Note phones, are often worse. Yeah. So it's possible that we see a rocky a rocky start. I think Apple had a big leg up because x86 is such an old architecture, whereas Google is competing directly with Qualcomm because they're both using ARM
0: parts. Yeah. I think the reason I'm so optimistic is because when you look at the iPhone, mm. Apple makes iOS yeah. and Apple codes and makes that silicon. Um, Google makes Android. And so when they are coding and making Android and optimizing, they have truly the full stack. Like all the others obviously are making Android phones, but they don't make Android. They'll take it and they'll optimize it for themselves. But that's like the one extra bit where we never really look at the milliamp hour size of an iPhone battery Mm -hmm. because it doesn't really match up versus the expected battery performance because they don't have the same level of vertical integration as Apple. So now Google with Pixel will finally have that full stack. That's why I hope, I'm crossing my fingers for audio (laughs) listeners, I hope that they can take advantage of that and deliver an awesome battery life despite you know, not having the biggest batteries in the world.
3: I think they're definitely getting closer to what Apple can offer. They are Mm. constrained under a similar constraint that Windows is constrained by when it comes to Windows versus Mac, whereas Windows has to have support for all these older versions. It has to support other phones. And yes, Google can optimize Android for the Pixel, but it still has to work on other phones, right? right? Whereas Apple on the Mac and on the iPhone can literally update to a new OS and say, hey, developers, if you want to be on the new OS, you have to change your code base. Whereas Windows can't do that. Android can't do that. Android's mostly coded in Java. mm -hmm. Java's old. Now, now Apple does everything in new and Swift, and it's great, right? It's fast. It's new. it's, It's lean. Yeah. So that's that's the constraint that Google's under. They said they've been working on Tensor for four years. I think they've been working on it. They've at least been
0: conceptualizing it since they decided to launch the Pixel program. I believe that. Yeah. I definitely believe that. I want to talk more about software updates, but we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back and do that.
2: Hear that?
0: We want to talk about a a couple other quick things with Pixel 6 because I still have uh, future hope. Mm. (laughs) I'm (laughs) optimistic. Uh, The one thing I wanted to talk about was software updates. So I mentioned this in the video, and this came from a lot of the ideas you were giving me. So when an Android phone manufacturer promises three years of software updates, Mm -hmm. or a lot of times they'll say like three generations or whatever, let's say three years. Yeah. Um, they are depending on, like, a couple different variables to be able to deliver those three years. Yeah, They obviously are going to keep getting updates from Android, and they're going to keep coding and, and sending resources to changing that and making sure it works with their new device. Mm-hmm. And three years later, they stop putting in the effort, and it just has that version forever. Mm-hmm. Um, with Pixel and Tensor and Google making Android... They are not just able to deliver possibly longer, but it feels like they're incentivized oh, absolutely. to do so. Yeah. Can you break that down? Yeah. So when
3: you have a phone, when you buy a phone from, say, uh, I was going to say LG, but RIP. Rip. Uh, <laughs> let's say LG, because I think they only ever promised like two years of software updates. Okay. <laughs> Uh, basically, that's cons- the software updates are constrained by the chip maker, Qualcomm. They, I did know this. Yeah. Yeah. So they have to basically support that Android version on that phone for a certain number of time. Now, Qualcomm, the max amount of time they usually support, this can be changed depending on their relationship with an ODM, but the max amount of time that they usually support Android updates for is about three years per device. And if you'll notice, the companies that make a big deal about, like, supporting your phone for longer, uh, Samsung, for example, offers four years of security updates. So there are three years of Android versions, four years of security updates. Sure. The reason they don't push more than three years of Android updates on their Exynos chips is because they want to have feature parity with all their phones, so they don't want there to be, like, confusion, right? There's been that issue before where, like, Samsung could have done something in the S twenty with, but only on the Exynos version. But they don't because Qualcomm didn't offer it. Uh, Right, so they need to have feature parity. Samsung,
0: you've avoided the confusion. You're not confusing at all now. (laughs) Yeah,
3: (laughs) but with Google now, they can just be like, "Oh, well, we're going to support Android for as long as we can," and that is beneficial to them because they make way more fun. They make way more money on you after they sell you the phone based on like things like Google Assistant, things like search. Like they make all their money through ad services basically. Yeah. And this is a huge reason why Apple has really opened up their ecosystem of monthly payment services like Apple Fitness Plus, Apple News Plus, Apple TV Plus. Yeah, cuz they've this, saturated the market of iPhones like in the US.
0: This is it was so it was so like obvious when I they they're basically coming it from the opposite direction. Like okay, Google has wanted to just Get a phone in your hand so they can make money from you over and over because they sell ads, right? Um, Apple has made a lot of money from selling phones, but then a while ago, they didn't really make that much money on services. They'd get you the phone, they don't have that much data, they're not selling ads, they're not really making as much money as they could. Obviously, the app store is huge, but when they started making all these services, they generated tons and tons of revenue per customer, mm. per device. Mm-hmm. Everybody out there with an iPhone who pays 10 bucks a month for Apple Music, who pays for iCloud storage, who pays for Apple News, and Apple TV is just giving Apple more and more money. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a new development for Apple, whereas with Google, they want to have the device in your in your hands as long as possible now because yeah. they've already been making lots yeah. of money on the devices. That's
3: when, where they've been making their money the entire time. When they yeah. first sold the Nexus 7 tablet, mm-hmm. they lost money on that hardware for every unit sold I that. because they were trying to get people to make Google accounts. That was mm-hmm. literally the reason they sold that tablet in the first place. Yeah. So they've been doing that forever. Apple is now like, oh, we made tons of money on hardware, but now we need to start really ramping up our ecosystem lock-in through monthly subscriptions. Apple used to make a ton of money on hardware. They still obviously do. When you see their iPhone sales, it's still a lot of their revenue. Um, but they're starting to realize like that iPhone sales are going down every year. People are replacing them less often. And it seems a little bit counterintuitive, right? Because you would say, if they're replacing them less often, then you should support it for less time. But they're realizing they're making more money off the residual services that come with your iPhone. like. Apple Music Plus or Apple Music, Apple TV Plus, Apple Fitness Plus. All the pluses. Google's been doing that forever. So now it's really in Google's best interest for you to have that phone for as long as possible because on Google's own phone, you're going to have Gmail be the stock um, email app. You're going to have Chrome be the stock internet app. They make the most money if you use their services, whereas other Android phones, You know, it's becoming more common for other Android phones to use Google services as the primary dedicated app, but the EU will actually fine Google for making their app the default app. It's anti-competitive behavior. Because it's anti-competitive and they'll lose money. So the more people that are on Pixels where they can say, this is our product, we're allowed to make all the Google services the default apps. The longer you're on that, the longer you stay on a Pixel and don't go to a... Huawei phone or a Samsung phone where yeah. you might be using Samsung Internet, the more money they're going to make.
0: Yeah, this reminds me of a question I asked Satya Nadella, but it kind of would apply to Google as well. Google makes Android, and it's open source, and anybody can use Android, and anyone can make a competitive Android phone, but Google has the biggest advantage, theoretically, to make the best Android phone. Yeah, And I'm so curious how that's going to pan out now that it seems like they're really, they're really going to spend, yeah. and they're really going to try, and they're going to actually try to, If they want market share, they can be competitive and they can actually push this phone. So, I'm curious about that. One more thing. Yeah. Uh, Pixel's all about camera. Yeah. And I noticed that these phones all have new sensors, like Mm. bigger sensors. There, I think they literally said in the blog post that these cameras are so big now that they don't fit in a normal camera bump. Yeah. Why we have a camera bar? (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I I wonder if this is. And this is just pure speculation. Mm-hmm. But if this is going to take the leap that we are finally hoping for, where, yeah. you know, Pixel 2 was like an incredible smartphone camera. And maybe the photos were a little blue, but they eventually improved that and they had better glass in air quotes because as we lenses. learned, it's plastic lenses yeah. and smartphones. But yeah. like they've had a really good camera for a while that didn't make huge leaps. And they're making a big hardware leap here. Mm. Do you at the risk of hyping it too much. Do you <laughs> think that this is a, a big leap? Or, I mean, yeah, just... I
3: mean, you know what's really funny is that uh, the Pixel 2 actually had a worse sensor than the Pixel 1. Like if you if you look at that, wow. ca- a worse camera. Right. It had like a higher aperture, so it let in less light, and it was just, it was very slightly worse. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably just a cheaper part, and because the Pixel 2 was like a, they started using those uh, OLED screens from LG, um, it was more expensive to use the overall phone. Anyway, regardless of that, it's really funny watching the curve of the last maybe like four years when the reviews come out and the pixel reviews come out and everyone says camera still the best next year camera still the best but barely camera uh one of the best I feel like again. it's one of the best again and then iPhone 11 pro come out came out and everyone's like I think. Apple's starting to make a better camera than Google. I gave it
0: my camera of the year in the smartphone awards. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, this is, uh, the Pixel has always been, or the camera, sorry, has been one of the reasons why I love the Pixel so much. And it's one of the best cameras in any Android phone, not just as far as quality, but it's always been really fast with instant shutter and all these new ML things to like remove blur. And it just seems like it's gonna be a great camera again. Uh, But I wonder, like, you know, we have huge huge sensors in some other (laughs) smartphone cameras and they really don't do all that much more with it right like if you'd compared let's say a pixel 5 shot with that small sensor with like the xiaomi mi 11 ultra with this gigantic like almost one inch sensor Mm -hmm. and you take the same shot on each it's like "Eh, sometimes i just prefer the pixel photo like it's, it's very detailed it doesn't have the big sensor look but like pixel moving to a huge sensor now has me really curious
3: you bring up that big sensor look and i think people are starting to notice that more over time because a bigger sensor look will make things look more lifelike whereas like even if a pixels tuning and sharpening from the older pixels look better you start to zoom in at all and it just completely falls apart true you look at things like grass and it's over sharpened if you actually look at any details of pixel shots it None of the individual details
0: are good. The whole shot is good. Right. That's a good point. A lot of times, if you would put a side-by-side shot of the Pixel versus the Mi 11 Ultra or whatever other big sensor phone you want to give, even a Samsung, like, yeah, you're right. The zoomed out shot, I picked the Pixel nine times out of 10. Yeah. The second you want to zoom in on pinch in some detail, you're yeah. going to get a sharper image from the other. Yeah. So I'm curious. I've heard rumors. I don't know if this is, I don't think it's confirmed at all, but of like a 50 megapixel primary sensor, I'm like...
3: Whoa. I think the reason I'm most excited is because there are like a multiplicative of reasons why this could be amazing, right? You're letting in way more light, right? right? And Google was already using ML to add in like artificial pixels, right? They were filling in space that wasn't there using machine learning. Mm -hmm. So not only do you get the combination of natural physics benefiting you, but you get natural physics... Plus tensor, uh-huh. which is like we're gonna use a lot of this chip for ML. So you have like physics plus insane machine learning Fake capabilities. Physics and real physics are I both mean, on your side. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the the interesting thing is like if they had used the A88, they actually could have made the camera better. Because mm-hmm. Qualcomm, to Qualcomm's credit, they did add like multi-frame video, mm-hmm. like HDR video, which is literally one frame. They're actually taking. Three frames, one of which has a short exposure, one that has a medium exposure, and one that has a long exposure. So even if it's one thirtieth of a second, uh, it's actually doing like a 90th a, 1/60th, 160th. And yeah, a one
0: one seventieth, yeah, doing a lot. It's crazy. Yeah.
3: Um. But I am really, really excited for both video and photo capabilities of these phones. Yeah. I think they're I- going to be very
0: awesome. I think Night Sight from a massive sensor with Tensor is gonna be sick. It's gonna be insane. It's gonna be sick. Yeah. Well, at the risk of uh, overhyping and making our expectations way too high, we'll end it there. (laughs) (laughs) I I do expect to see more info on Pixel over the next couple of weeks. It's probably gonna come out in October again, Mm. or at least get announced in October again and then come out after that. But yeah, 6 and 6 Pro. You can watch the video on the main channel if you haven't already seen it for our, our organized, condensed thoughts on Tensor. But definitely check that out, and uh, also head over to the Studio Channel if you haven't already. Go ahead and subscribe over there; it's brand new, but it's good stuff. Mm. Um, all right, that's been it. Thanks for joining me, David. Shout out to everybody who's been with us since uh, since the beginning of the Video Podcast, and we'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace.
3: Waveform is produced by Adam Molina. We are made in partnership with Studio Seventy One, and our intro outro music is by Vane Sill. Sick. It's awesome. Is that good? Yeah. And well, we might as well just use it, right?